G'day, and welcome to another week of Stick Together, bringing you union news, workers' stories and discussion on social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. Well, hopefully many of you are taking some well-earned time off with your friends and family, but for those of you who aren't and who worked over the Christmas period, be sure to check your pay slip for penalty rates. If you think you might not have been paid correctly, be sure to contact your union. This week we look back at one of our shows from earlier in the year, where we examined ICTSI, one of the world's most rapidly growing stevedoring companies. Just last week it was announced that it would take 65% control of Turkey's fourth largest port, taking the number of countries it operates in to 20. They are globally renowned for their poor labour practices and union-busting tactics. And we take you back to this particular show because ICTSI has recently demonstrated its willingness to import these tactics to the Australian waterfront. Regular listeners will have heard the story of the three-week dispute at Victoria's Web Dock. The company involved was none other than the Australian arm of ICTSI, who, true to form, fired a unionist for growing the union and taking a stand against bullying and harassment by management. This week, we'll again speak with the International Transport Federation's campaign director, Shannon O'Keefe, about developments and disputes that have flared at ICTSI terminals around the globe. But first, our feature from July this year. Globalisation has created new opportunities for the capital class to ignore, bend or break labour laws and to exploit the weakest links in worker organisations. The only solution to global capitalism is meaningful international solidarity. Transnational companies shift operations offshore or threaten to do so in an attempt to force workers into concessions, pitting workers of one nation against their sisters and brothers overseas. Worse yet, companies seek to operate in areas where they can breach national laws and international labour conventions with impunity. This week we bring you a story of struggle and solidarity that stretches across the Indian Ocean and beyond. Dock workers in three continents fighting against a common foe. ICTSI is one of the world's fastest-growing stevedoring companies and has a record of lawlessness and violations of labour rights in developing nations. It now threatens to gain a foothold here in Australia. Sydney-based campaign director of the International Transport Federation, Shannon O'Keefe, explains how ICTSI has grown both in size and as a threat to dock unions. ICTSI is a Philippine-based port company and over the last five to ten years they've expanded to other ports around the world and the first ports they went to outside of the Philippines were what we would call discreetly niche ports, places like Basra in Iraq, Syria, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So quite challenging port environments that potentially other port operators wouldn't touch because of the nature of the operations there. And what we've seen happen over the last five years in particular is they've started to bid for ports in established markets. This is a company that's a force to be reckoned with because they are the fastest growing of all the global terminal operators. But more importantly, they, they have the highest profitability of any of the terminal operators and that's a quite dangerous combination because it means that they've got the capacity to grow but also their growth model is something that looks a lot different to some of the more established players that we have relationships with. And what makes ICTSI such a threat? Well, in part because of their aggressive stance towards industrial relations uh, and also because the business model that they have. So... What we're seeing around the world, and this is true in Indonesia, it's true in Madagascar, is a very small, uh, higher paid, direct hire workforce and a very large 
uh, labour hire workforce who are chronically underemployed, who compete for shifts against each other, and then a lot of outsourcing. So a very different model. They're a company that has very little union exposure. In the company's annual report, they say they have quite high union density, but what we found as we've gone around is that a lot of those unions are company unions. Setting up company, or yellow unions, is only one tactic employed by ICTSI. Indonesian dock workers have been locked in struggle against ICTSI for years now, with the company routinely flouting the laws of Indonesia and stifling the rights of workers to organise. This is Didik Norianto, General Secretary of the FBTPI, a union of maritime workers with members at the port of Jakarta. Didik, thank you very much for joining us on Stick Together. Um, Can you start by explaining your current struggle with ICTSI? Before OJA was taken over, it was part of the company Tempura Nemas, a domestic company. In July 2012, it was taken over by ICTSI. Six months we were waiting, 123 members joined the union. We demanded firstly that our employment status, we demanded firstly about our employment status, secondly about overtime that had not been paid correctly or at all, and thirdly about the underpayment of base wages. In 2013, all our demands were met. We also had casual members. We prioritised them. If operators had been the priority then, in the future casual workers would have faced difficulties. So we prioritised casual workers before becoming permanent employees, so then operators and others would follow. Then there were also operators. From the period of of the previous director, there had been overtime not paid correctly. We tried to discuss this with the company to resolve this issue of the 33 operators before we took it to the Ministry of Manpower. The operators were not getting paid properly for the overtime. They were only receiving the base wage. For two years, there was no explanation from management. Then in February 2015, the operators who had all been in the union began leaving the union because of the intimidation. So only 12 operators remained in the union. At that time in February, management also introduced a system that was in line with the law so that overtime would be paid properly. They also gave the opportunity for the unionised operators to sign an agreement that said they would no longer raise issues about overtime pay. Eight refused to sign and remained in the union and took the the issue to the Ministry of Manpower. The Ministry of Manpower issued a decision that the company must must back pay from October 2011 to February 2015. In May this year, that decision was made, but up until now, it has not been realised. What type of intimidation and reprisals did the workers face for organising? Coming to the union members one by one, trying to intimidate them, especially the operators, to try and convince them to not be involved. The operators were the target because the company realises that if the operators stop work, then operations are paralysed. So the company is found to have breached the law. What is the union doing now to advance its struggle? The truck drivers are outsourced. We had said this goes against the law, but they continued to do this. 19 outsourced truck drivers, they joined the union. We struggled for 15 of them to become permanent employees. These 15 were called up by the outsourcing management, intimidated, told to leave the union or their contract would not be renewed. Seven left the union, eight remained, and we took their case to the Ministry of Manpower who ruled that OJA must make those eight people permanent employees. No response from OJA, so the ministry issued another notice. OJA management claimed they were not OJA employees, so not their issue. Before it went to the ministry, the union had tried to hold bipartite discussions with management. At the first meeting, the OJA director recognised that they 
would be made permanent employees. But in a follow-up meeting, management backed down from this position, so the union had to take it to the Ministry of Manpower. We continue to pressure the ministry to issue further direction for the company to follow the law. Repeated appeals to the Indonesian government by the union have not yielded results. Despite rulings that the company has breached the law, underpaid staff and wrongfully outsourced jobs, the Indonesian government appears either unwilling or unable to compel ICTSI to comply with the court rulings. ICTSI workers are paid as little as 16 US dollars a week. This is less than half of what other workers at the same docks receive. There are also reports of forced overtime and harsh, dangerous working conditions. Australian trade unionists took the opportunity of a recent visit by the Indonesian Minister for National Planning to pursue justice for the Indonesian dockers. Protests followed the minister around the country, culminating in the disruption of a corporate breakfast in Melbourne. It was not the first time Australian unionists had taken up the plight of ICTSI dockers. Earlier this year, protests in Sydney sought to amplify the actions of Madagascan dock workers members of the union Sigma, who are also locked in a battle with ICTSI. I'm uh, the general secretary of uh, Sigma union. And then in 2003, um, I've been elected as a general secretary. We are organizing seafarers, fishermen and uh, dockers. Can you give us a quick overview of why you are struggling against ICTSI? The main problem is our 43 doctors who are part of casual workers doing the job for ICTSA at the port of Thomas have been sacked because they did join our union in 2012. And what happened after the workers were fired? Uh, after that, um, we did put the case before the labor inspection first. Uh, we got uh, favorable uh, decision from uh, the labor inspectorate. Then we did put the case before court because at this time, the general manager of the subcontractor working with ICTSA has refused to meet us and has refused to comply with um, labor inspections recommendation to reinstate our 43 doctors. So after the case was won and the company continued to refuse to reinstate the workers, what happened next? We went to court and uh, we've got a positive result uh, with a decision asking to uh, SMMC, the subcontractor with ICTSA, to reinstate our 43 dockers and uh, to allow our union be established at the port of Tomasina. But uh, the general manager of SMMC refused to enforce this court decision. And then we, we decided to approach the justice minister and the labor minister who have issued official letter uh, requesting SMMC to reinstate our 43 dockers in 2013 without any positive reaction from SMMC. So the union has targeted ICTSI's clients like Esprit and Levi Strauss. Why did you do yes. that? Why did you do that? And what has been the result? We uh, engage with STEP because um, we think as a stakeholder of ICTSA uh, services, those company use also our dockers to uh, unload and unload uh, their um, manufactured uh, pieces in Madagascar, from the port of Tomasna to everywhere, uh, like USA and Europe, for um, customers. 
So we've got a kind of um, support letter from them asking to ICTSA to recognize our union rights and also to recognize that our 43 dockers and finally dismissed shall be reinstated. So the 43 dockers who have been unfairly dismissed from the ports, what are they doing now? We continue to support them every year, every month, if we, we had an occasion to raise the problem for public understanding, we make it happen. Uh, mainly, each uh, uh, Labor Day celebration, we, we made a rally from uh, the port to the office of uh, um, regional um, labor minister in Thomasina this year. Uh, we came at the beginning uh, of June in Tananarive with our 43 dockers before Labor uh, Minister House and the Labor um, uh, and the Transport Minister House and also to meet uh, our um, Parliament President. Lucien, what started the organising drive? Was it pay or was it conditions or was it both? Was it both because, you know, it happened... Uh, Five years ago, one docker died after uh, unloading container at the port. So we did ask to uh, ICTSA and SMMC to look after the family of uh, this docker who has found death uh, during the exercise of uh, his work at the port. So we did co- we did uh, start by that. Uh, there is a lot of uh, working conditions who are not. Uh, I can say, uh, in line with uh, security and safety uh, uh, management. And how do the wages that ICTSI pay compare to other companies at the docks? I can say uh, ICTSI pay the worst low pay if we compare with the others. In Thomasina, there is a great number of casual workers who have been denied to become permanent. ICTSA since uh, its establishment at the port of Thomas has got uh, huge benefit from our dockers. Our main goal, our first goal, is to uh, ask for the reinstatement of our 43 dockers. Then we have to negotiate uh, uh, an agreement with ICTSA and SMMC about uh, their wages. Dock workers in Indonesia are in a fight with the same company. Do you have a message for the members of the FBTPI? Yes, uh, I'm calling to the understanding of CTSA. Wherever they are established, if there is even one worker who has a struggle with them, Sigma and its members are supporting this person. Uh, we continue our fight until justice uh, comes for ICTSA workers. You're listening to Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. The similarities between the two struggles are no coincidence. 
There are sackings, threat to workers, and the suppression and non-payment of wages. Despite multiple decisions by courts and labor tribunals that its actions breach national laws, ICTSI continues to utilize these union-busting tactics as part of its business strategy. Even when the rules favor the workers, ICTSI simply evades or ignores them. When national laws fail to protect the interests of workers, it is only the collective power of those workers organizing globally that can defeat transnational capital. ITF campaign director Shannon O'Keefe again. What's happening with globalisation is that those national jurisdictions are increasingly less relevant and companies are unregulated at a global level. The challenge for, for all unionists, not just the International Transport Workers Federation, but anyone that wants to challenge globalisation is how do we provide a response to that when organising at a national level is no longer a really relevant way of doing that on its own? So it's a necessary but not sufficient uh, organising strategy. ICTSI are starting to establish themselves in Australian ports. Do Australian unionists need to be vigilant? Do they pose a threat to the prevailing conditions locally? Oh, absolutely. ICTSI bought into the third operator in Melbourne a few years ago and they're operational now. They have It's a fully automated port and it's the single largest investment that the company's made and it's an investment of over $700 million. Uh, it's a problem because the company is aggressive in other ports, so there's nothing to suggest that they wouldn't be similarly aggressive here and attempt to use industrialisation's practices and changes to those practices or changes to what you'd see standards in other Australian ports as a key source of their business advantage and a way of making profit. Um, uh, and Australian unions should be concerned because of their track record around the world what we've seen in Indonesia, what we've seen in Madagascar, what we've seen in the other ports in South America that we've had contact with is that this is a company that is very aggressive uh, towards its workforce uh, and does whatever it can to drive down costs and doesn't seem to value having a relationship uh, with legitimate trade unions. So, Shannon, what other components of the ITF's campaign against this company? We have a pretty simple methodology, and that is we are going to grow democratic, effective, representative unions that are active on the ground in key countries. So we've got live campaigns in two sites in Indonesia, one in uh, Madagascar. We are looking at places in Eastern Europe, and we're having conversations about South America. Uh, and those workplaces have to be able to run workplace campaigns that resolve issues for themselves. Um, the campaign is really about building activists, supporting those activists and building strong unions and then linking those workers up as a key source of power, sharing information about what goes on at each site, but more importantly, uh, moving workers to take action in support of each other's issues. And in the campaign so far, workers in Madagascar, some of whom get paid around $50 US a month, have taken action in support of workers uh, in Indonesia. And actually, interestingly, in the Fairfax dispute um, a couple of months ago, the Madagascan workers took action in support of the um, Sydney Morning Herald journalists. And for them, they get what globalisation means. They see that as their, in global organising, they see global organising as their chance to deal with some pretty tricky power imbalances, both at a domestic level, where you've got a, a less than democratic government, where the workers in Madagascar, for instance, have a court order that requires the company to send uh, sacked workers back to work and also requires the company to recognise the union, neither of which has happened. So the government and the employer have either been unwilling or unable to enforce that court order. 
these workers get in Madagascar, and this is true in Indonesia and the other countries that we go to, that they will be more powerful if they stand in unity and take action with workers at other ICTSI sites around the world. And what they also know when we've been linking workers up is that the practices that you see in one part of the world are pretty similar to the practices that you see in other parts of the world. Uh, and when you see that, workers get to understand that that means that there's nothing special about them in terms of the way that they're being treated. It's a business model for that company and their only response to challenging that business model is to globally campaign with other workers. You're listening to a special summer edition of Stick Together, broadcast around the country on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're taking another look at global stevedoring company ICTSI and their pattern of industrial misbehaviour across the world. Shannon O'Keefe is the campaign director at the International Transport Federation's Asia-Pacific Campaign Centre. We're joined by her again to hear more about what's happened since we last spoke in July. Can you give us a bit of an update on where the ITS campaign's at in regards to the Indonesian dock workers and the Madagascan dock workers we spoke to last time? Sure. Uh, well, the campaign's continuing, and in fact, the more places that we go to, the more we realise that this really is a global pattern, the way that they treat their workers. Uh, in Indonesia, the company has just concluded a bargaining round where workers who were participating in union activity to fight for better wages and conditions were systematically targeted by the company to deny them overtime, and as a result, people took second jobs, but I think more alarmingly... There were children who were pulled out of school in Indonesia because their parents couldn't afford the school fees. And that's a pretty devastating price to pay for any child because of their parents' union activity and their attempts to provide for them a better, a better life. Shannon, can you tell us how our friends in Madagascar are going? Yeah, this is a pretty sad story, actually. It's another Christmas for the workers in Madagascar, the Malagasy 43, who are still without a job and still without any form of restitution. What's encouraging and frankly quite amazing is the continued solidarity that those workers have uh, amongst each other and enjoy around the world and they're committed to fighting until they get justice. Just to give you an example, Madagascar has recently experienced pneumonic plague which meant that public places were closed, you couldn't assemble in public but despite that the workers still organised a rally in support of uh, the Malagasy 43 and that's something quite impressive and shows their commitment to winning. And Shannon, since we spoke last time, ICTSI has been involved in a number of other disputes around the world, and notably when ICTSI secured a 25-year agreement to uh, take over one of the ports or two of the ports in Papua New Guinea, there were disputes with the dock workers there. Can you tell us a bit more about that? So in Papua New Guinea in September this year, the government announced that ICTSI had been awarded a 25-year contract. Uh, there are real concerns about how that contract was awarded. As a consequence of that, ICTSI came in and made no commitments to the existing workforce and, in fact, made quite strong um, uh, overtures that the existing workforce would be replaced by a casual workforce and potentially workers brought in from somewhere else. They also gave no commitments to the landowner groups in Port Moresby and Ley, uh, some of which owned up to 40% of the company and had agreements to supply labour to the ports. There's been industrial action up in Papua New Guinea in both ports as the workers fight to get uh, their jobs and retain their existing wages and conditions. As a consequence of that, the landowners have secured an agreement with the company to get a financial stake and there's been some loose commitments around jobs. But the existing workers, and we say there's around 1,000 workers who are directly or indirectly employed at the port who will be affected, have been given no
no guarantees. These are good jobs in Papua New Guinea. They pay good wages, they pay pensions, they give workers good conditions and leave arrangements. And at the moment they're stranded and ICTSI has won the contract and given them no commitments. Uh, the thing to think about in Papua New Guinea is that one worker could support up to 20 people in their community. So these jobs that are being uh, lost are going to affect not just those workers and their immediate families, but the communities that they live in. And the ITF is committed to continue to fight up there with those workers to ensure that they get uh, their wages, their conditions and their jobs protected because they've been doing that work for a very long time. In every port that we've been to, we have seen uh, five things. We've seen issues around paying in developing countries, frankly, poverty-level wages, uh, a failure to respect freedom of association, very poor sta uh, safety standards, illegal outsourcing of labour, which is linked to poor safety standards and a breach of domestic laws. There's a global pattern emerging that Australia is not immune from. And in fact, many of those things that we found in Indonesia, that we found in Pakistan or even Madagascar, we're seeing similar, similar levels of um, uh, a poor industrial relations practice in Victoria. And I think Victoria is a really good example of this. You know, it's a $700 million investment. That's a lot of money to spend. You'd think that you would kind of care a bit more about your workforce and the fact that they're, you know, they're treated well. Um, and as you said before, the practices that we've seen overseas, we've absolutely seen in Victoria. And to give you an example of that, uh, the company claimed in Victoria that the worker was terminated because he couldn't get a security card. The worker did get his security clearance, uh, but the dispute was actually about a range of broken promises, workers coming in and being offered higher pay and actually not getting it when they got there, being offered permanent jobs but not getting them, getting casual jobs, being offered job opportunities that never came around, um, management overriding safety concerns of workers and safety officers. It's more surprising that we find that in Victoria because the other countries that they operate in are all developing countries. So why would you import that model of industrial relations to your flagship terminal? It doesn't make sense and we're going to hold this company accountable to that because uh, we deserve better than that and the workers around the world deserve better than the kind of treatment that they're getting from this company. You can find out more about the campaign against ICTSI by visiting www.justice4docworkers.org. That's the word for, not the number. Well, that's it for Stick Together for the week and for the year. A big thank you to all the people who took time to speak with us and bring you workers' stories, particularly to the workers who have taken the courageous step to put their voices to air despite management pressure. And a very special shout-out to all the workers down at SO who have been now holding out for more than six months against their employer's plan to cut their wages by 40%. No one sets out to spend Christmas on a picket, but they are a determined bunch and we wish them well. Get behind their campaign on Facebook by searching for Concerned Maintenance Worker, all one word. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast right around the country on the Community Radio Network. Shows like ours are only made possible by listeners like you. So help keep workers' stories on the air and call your local community radio station and subscribe today. We love to get your feedback on the show and you can contact us by calling 0394198377 or sending us an email to sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. You can also connect to us on Facebook by searching Stick Together Program. If you're looking for some summer podcast listening, you can download this and other recent episodes at www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. Well, it's been a big year of news and struggle. And from all of us here at Stick Together, thanks for listening. And finally, remember, 
Wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. I've been Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together.